Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we have Andy and Robin from Oklahoma on the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much, April. I'm so excited about the show. I mean, I say that every time because I'm excited every time I get to hear an adoption story. I'm just excited because we met in an airport. So random. (laughs) But I have no social boundaries. And so approached you and you're very gracious about that. Well, you were very kind. You came up to our family and anyone that approaches our family and says, I love your family. We're instantly, you know, going to listen to what you have to say. If you come up to a family and say, where did you get those kids? Don't start a conversation (laughs) like that. But you didn't. You're very kind. And then you said, our family looks so similar. And in fact, I'm here with uh, my adopted child and kind of went into the story. And so I'm excited to hear the whole entire story. So let's talk a little bit about why you chose adoption. When Andy and I met, we met at Bible College, and we knew that we were called to be missionaries, and we we discussed adoption. And we always felt like it was something that we wanted to do. We even discussed being foster parents, and we wanted to be biological parents as well. We wanted this great, big, mixy-matchy family. And we really didn't know how and when that would happen. It just kind of all happened in the Lord's timing and over several years. But we always saw eye to eye on that. And we were were just young and naive, and we thought everything's going to be so cool. And, and you know, the Lord took us in different, on some paths that we didn't necessarily want to go down along the way. But it's been almost 20 years now. Wow. Those first conversations started, and um, we're still open to more whatever. Whatever the Lord has for us, we're open to that. So do you have biological children? We do. We have four biological sons. The oldest is 18, and the youngest is 10. Um, and in that, in those years, our third son, Cohen, we have Noah, Tice, Cohen, and Van. Um, Cohen was born when we were missionaries in Zambia. And he had medical issues that we weren't prepared for, we weren't aware were going to arise. And um, there was not anything. They didn't have the medical ability to help him. And Cohen passed away. I'm um, so sorry. 24 hours old. That happened in Zambia? It did, yes. Talk to me a little bit, and this is kind of off the adoption story, but talk to me a little bit about being a missionary or serving God and having something like that happen, isn't it hard to, to say, God, I'm, I'm serving you, I've given everything to you, and how could this be? It was very hard for us. In fact, it was hard to not think that somehow God had let us down, mm-hmm. that, that we were, you know, we had done everything. We had packed up our young family. We had moved to a third-world country. We didn't know what in the world was going on, but we trusted him. And for that to happen, and so it was very, very difficult and a questioning time and an anger time, a lot of things happening uh, dur- during that during that time that Cohen was born, and then you know the, the next day whenever he passed away. But but through it all, I think that we ultimately trusted God's direction in our life. It wasn't easy to do that. Um, it would have been much easier just. They were done and come back to the States. But we felt like God had still 
had a call, still had a plan for our lives in Zambia. And so we decided to stick around. So you stayed like in that. Zambia? We did. We did. It was not um, with a willing spirit in the beginning. Um, I'd like to add to that that Cohen was the child that we had waited for. Our first two sons were big surprises. And then we, when we planned to have a third child, we tried for three years. Wow. He was the one that we waited for and prayed for. And I felt like he was the answer to that long-awaited prayer. And and we were missionaries, and I, I just felt like this child was blessed, blessed mm-hmm. and favored and called, and, and that he was special. And then we lost him after the first day. And I remember the word that I kept saying over and over was betrayed. I felt betrayed by God. And I look back at that now and think I was so immature, mm-hmm. spiritually immature. I had known and served the Lord my entire life, but I had never once faced true tragedy, mm-hmm. and so I didn't know how to even process that, and I didn't process it well. Andy did much better um, than I did spiritually during that time, and, and the Lord brought me um, through a fire physically, uh, actually got burned, and that was how the Lord, how I finally allowed the Lord to get my attention and show me how much I needed Him and how much I wanted to be with Him but I was like a two-year-old child giving him the silent treatment. And even after our youngest son was born and was equally sick but was healed, even then I was still so angry with the Lord because Van was born in Oklahoma and was metaflighted to a nice, fancy hospital where there were doctors who were trained and equipped to help him. And Cohen was born in Africa with no one to help him, and Van was healed and Cohen wasn't. And that was very hard for me to sort out with the Lord. Yeah, I bet. Even hearing it, you just think, how did you come out of it? And how did you, your marriage, how did you guys process that together? That's the one really beautiful, amazing part of the story is that we turned towards each other. And probably because we were in Africa and we didn't have other people to turn to. We didn't have counselors and all that. We had each other, and we turned to each other, and then eventually turned to the Lord. Um, And during that entire time of not turning towards the Lord, we were still missionaries. I was still a missionary. I was still teaching. I was still doing all the things I had been doing before because I still believed they were true. Mm -hmm. I just was mad at Mm -hmm. the Lord, and so I was punishing Him with my silence. But the sweet sweet part of that story is that all along I can look back and see all the little things, even though I was being a baby and silent treating him, all the things that he did for us to mm-hmm. show that he was still there, that he was still taking care of us, that he still loved us. No, we didn't get our way. Uh, we didn't get the miracle that we wanted in the moment that we wanted it, not that time, um, but that he was still there. And ultimately what we learned through that is that it is our job to serve God, and it is not God's job to serve us. That is so good. That is so powerful. And, you know, I have a similar story. I knew when we met each other, there was something in between us that I needed to learn. I've learned so much from the show, really, I have. Um, and there are times when I listen, and I'm just crying myself and healing myself. But, you know, I was a missionary to Uganda, and also started off feeling like everything is perfect, and God is so awesome. And though he is, 
when you learn the lesson that A plus B doesn't equal C and some things happen that are really unfair and you feel angry, how to process that and how to come out still with faith. And and if you let God do what he wants to do, you come out stronger and oh, the faith that you have is so much richer. And like you said, you, you're not as spoiled and you have a compassion that's really deep and true. It is. And you know, that, that attitude of, I didn't get my way, so I'm gonna be angry at God, that's an American mm. attitude. Mm-hmm. You've lived in Africa. You've seen these people who have truly suffered, and they have se- they have encountered loss after loss mm-hmm. after loss, and yet their faith is gigantic, and they don't have that whiny attitude. Mm-hmm. So true. That, that's my experience. That's an American attitude because we live in you know the land of the free and the brave, and all good things should happen to us. Well, that's an American mindset and not a spiritual or biblical mindset. That is so true. Now, our listeners are probably wondering about this fire. Can you just touch on that really quick? What <laughs> okay, do you mean you got burned? It was a, an accidental kitchen fire, and I spilled. I was holding a pot of oil that I had forgotten about, and so it was filling our house with smoke, and I thought, well, I'll just take it outside. And when I stepped with it, oxygen kind of stirred in it, and it exploded. And so the fire came straight at my face and burned the right side of my face, but... I spilled the oil on my left hand, and so from about one-third up from my wrist down, my hand came off like a glove. Oh, my goodness. And um, so it was months of having to be flown to South Africa, which is a much more dangerous place than Zambia, going into surgery alone. Alone, I was by myself, even because Andy stayed with our kids in Zambia, and, you know, taxi drivers in South Africa, all of this, a language I didn't understand, places I didn't know where I was going. I was literally at the mercy of whoever was delivering me to whatever place I was going. And I very quickly, (laughs) I'm ashamed to say, very quickly with my tail between my legs came running back to the feet of Jesus and begging him uh, to be with me for protection and for safety. I was so afraid that I wouldn't wake up after a surgery and then my children would be uh, orphans and not, mm-hmm. I mean, they still have their dad, but right. I just remember before one of the surgeries saying to the anesthesiologist, I said to him, I'm very important to the people, <laughs> you know, to my children. It's important that I wake up after this surgery. And he's like, Madam, you will wake up. No fears. <laughs> like those and by this time we had had Van um, and we were in the process of adopting Deacon. Okay. And so... I was, you know, I thought, I can't miss out on this. It's right. important. Right. Okay, so you have three sons, and now you're going to adopt Deacon. Let's talk about him. How did you meet him? Okay. On the second week that we lived in Zambia, I met the chubby-faced, adorable, three-month-old little baby Stanley at an orphanage that I had just started volunteering in, and I came home. I was like, babe, there's this baby, and I want him, and he must be mine. And he was like, sweetie. We can't adopt on the second week that we're here. <laughs> you know, like, he's always the voice of reason, and I'm always the, let's do this and let's do that. Right. And and then we were told, it was actually incorrect, but we were told that you had to live in-country for two years before you could adopt, that that was a Zambian law. That was incorrect. It's actually three months. But we didn't question it because it was the director of the orphanage that told me that, and her husband had been the vice president of Zambia. So, of course, she knows everything. Uh, and so we waited... 
And then during that two years is when we lost Cohen. During that two years is when Van came and, and we had gone home on furlough. But maintained the relationship with little family that whole time. And so by the time that we were legally and physically and emotionally able to adopt him, he was four years old. Wow. I, maybe they told you that. Do you think possibly because how long was your whole entire uh, journey to Zambia? How long did you stay in that country? We were there five years. Okay, so five years. So in the first two weeks, you want to adopt. Maybe they were thinking, don't just come to our country and take a baby and go home. But they, do you think maybe she told you the two years because she wanted you to stay? Yes, absolutely. And Zambia as a nation has that attitude towards American and foreign adoption. Right. It, it offends them that we as the Western world believe that we can give their children a better life. That offends right. them. It's interesting, as you're talking, um, when you're in the country and you've lived there for a couple of years, you know what the people are thinking. You are immersed into the culture. And so you're not just somebody that's coming and visiting. You're one of the people. And so oftentimes, because I lived in Uganda, um, and some, you know, we have a lot of people going to Uganda to adopt, and they tell me what the officials are saying, or they tell me what the judge is saying, and they're saying, isn't that strange? And I'm like, no, because this is what they're thinking. And you can explain the back history of why they're acting like that mm -hmm. and so I think that that is it's just such a amazing thing to be able to stay in the country live in the country and understand the the child that you're actually adopting and the whole culture and so you are now with this child for four years how did you finally finalize we when we went to Zambia during that time that we were there it, it was actually when we were in the States. I was up in the middle of the night with Van, and I couldn't go back to sleep, which is odd for me because I'm a good sleeper. And I saw something on TV, and I said to Andy in the morning, as soon as we get back, the Lord wants us to adopt family. And he said, okay. And so as soon as we got back, we started the process. We hired a lawyer. It was relatively inexpensive compared to American adoption because our adoption was not considered a foreign adoption. We oh, right. lived in Zambia. We were residents of Zambia, and so we just adopted through the Zambian courts. And before his adoption was final, first we did weekend visits. He would come for the weekend and then go back to the orphanage, and then I would visit during the week because I still volunteered. All through this time, I volunteered in his orphanage. Um, and so it was normal for me to be there. And then we did a three-month, technically a foster period, but it was just to make sure that everything went well before we finalized. But the day that he came home for that foster period, that's the day that he came home. That's the anniversary that we celebrate. That's the day that he became ours. It really didn't matter to us that the paperwork wasn't done. In Zambia, do you have to have a home study? Yes. <laughs> and it's funny when we look back at it because these, these sweet little African women were interviewing us and there was a bit of a language barrier and so in the home study none of our children's names are spelled right they're not even almost spelled right they're not even close to their names <laughs> and so it's not exactly accurate but the important questions were you know and I remember them asking us things like will Stanley at this time he was still called Stanley will he be an equal heir when you die Mm. You know, they, that's what they want to know. Is he actually going to be your son? Right. Andy, how were your sons getting along with Deacon? Did everybody just gel together? No. No, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Uh, it, it was, especially for me, 
Deacon, he didn't really latch on to me. It took a while, and it was simply because in the orphanage for his first four years of life, he didn't have a father figure. It was these aunties and these ladies that took care of him, so I think he was kind of scared of me. Now, he did uh, van our youngest. There's about three years that separate them, and they, they became buddies and are still to this day. I mean, they're still brothers that are now 10 and 13 years old and, and fight just like brothers do, but from the be- from the beginning, they have have kind of gotten along, and so I don't think it was that difficult for for our boys to to kind of welcome Deacon in. And we had you know, we had time. We had you know over a year while we were in Zambia before we moved back to the states. And so uh, our family life was was very very good and very strong there. We did everything together. It wasn't quite as busy as it is in the states with one kid running this direction for some sports activity or some band activity. We were just all together. And so I think that he did mesh well with them, but it it took some time. It it took some time for him to kind of, uh, and me as well, to connect with him. It was, it was just different. Did you visit him in that four years? Yes, yeah. I would go to the orphanage as well, and, you know, the times that he would come over on the weekends. And so... So you weren't a stranger. Yeah, I, I wasn't a stranger, but it was, I think it was just still unfamiliar because mm-hmm. he had never had a fatherly mm-hmm. figure, a man. Parenting him. Parenting, right. Everyone that took care of him were women. Mm-hmm. Right. And all of our friends who have adopted after us from Zambia all have experienced the exact same thing. The, the adopted child essentially ignores the presence of the dad. But... When our friends come over, latches on to the dad of the other family. That's and interesting. And wants all this attention from the other dads, but straight ignores. I mean, if I went home, Deacon would go hours without food and drink just so that he didn't have to go and ask Andy. Just the first year, probably. And there were times that I'd say, Deke, you can't say my name anymore today. <laughs> if you want something, you're going to have to ask your daddy. He's nice. <laughs> He'll get you water. And he will. He will get you water. <laughs> I I think it's interesting just because you hear different stories, and a lot of times um, the child will reject the mother. Um, and there's a process. I never hear, very rarely do I hear a child that's older coming home and just embraces both parents and is like, Hi, Mom and Dad. Thanks for adopting me. You know, it's usually an adjustment um, for the mom or for the dad. But I do hear quite often that they're fine with the friend, and we call it mommy shopping or daddy shopping. And, you know, a male will come into the room or a, a female, and they latch on to strangers because that feels more comfortable to them than really being with their parents. And, and it's risky, I mean, because you love them so much, and that's, that feels scary and dangerous. Right. And so working through that uh, is a process, but you're on the other side now, and he's attached to both of you. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I would even say now, you know, it's been nine years. November was the ninth anniversary. Still, he's a bit more attached to me, but not overwhelmingly so. It's not like it used to be. Um, it Things are good now. And even the relationships with the brothers have sorted out. There was, in the first year... The second son, Tice, he had a, a harder time with Deacon coming in and, 
and stealing some of the attention and some of the thunder. You know, for a long time it was all, oh, you've got a new brown baby, mm-hmm. you know. And and so Tice, he reacted poorly a few times. Um, but that has all just, it's so far in the rearview mirror that it almost seems like it never, like it's hard to remember the days when it used to be hard. Mm-hmm. You know, when I used to wake up in the mornings and say and pray, Lord, please help us to love Deacon in the same way that we love our biological kids. Please help us to treat him in the same way. Mm-hmm. That you know, I used to pray that a lot because once the honeymoon period was over, then you're faced with the reality of this child who lives in your home, who is supposed to be like your child, but who comes with a history and with, you know, some bad habits and who doesn't respond to you in the same way your other biological children respond to you. And I feel like in the way I'm kind of inside all of my biological kids' heads, kind of know, mm-hmm. you know, if they're if they're having a meltdown, I kind of know why or whatever. And with Deacon, even still, sometimes I'm not quite sure what, you know, what, what's he thinking? Where's this coming from? It's very rare now. It's not common for it to come up anymore, those types of confusing interactions, but... They still come up. I think that will encourage some families listening to hearing you say, wow, it's it's been a really long time since I have woken up in the morning and felt like I needed to pray to get through the day. Or, you know, it's been a long time. Even hearing your voice say, I can tell you're like thinking back at that time. And so there are some families that are struggling right now, and they need to hear that. They need to hear that there is going to be a time when this is in the past, when this bonding and awkward stage is gone and we can be together as a family because it it can happen. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more to Andy and Robin about bringing Deacon home and their second adoption. Stay tuned. You're listening to Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. We'll be right back. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670kltt.com. Hi, this is Noah, April's husband, and I want to thank you for listening to this story on today's program. Do you have an adoption story? April and I have been through our own adoption journey, and I'd like to encourage you to contact us about sharing your story. You can do that by going to our website, adoption-now.com, and clicking on the Tell Your Story tab. Let's join together and inspire others. And now let's rejoin April and the rest of today's story. Faith and Family Radio, KLT Denver. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. We're talking to Andy and Robin today. They're telling us their story about adopting Deacon from Zambia. Now, it was easy for them um, a you know, compared to American adoptions, but just because they lived in Zambia. And so, I mean, I'm sure the courts kind of considered you guys Zambian, right? It was. that That's exactly how it went. And after we went through the home study and went through the court, we hired an attorney. The attorney told us exactly what to do. We showed up, and Deacon was ours. We got the, the new birth certificate that showed uh, our last name, and... It just seemed like wow, that was really easy. That was amazing, and and it was. It was it was easy. It was a blessing. It was so inexpensive compared to some other people that we know who have adopted internationally. And we just thought, wow, this is this is such an easy thing that we've done. I don't know why more people can't 
can't do it like this. And and even though it was, that wasn't really the end of it because even though he was he was ours, he was legally ours by the Zambian courts and that and that nation. Uh, the U.S. government did not recognize him as ours just yet. And so we had to do some paperwork, go to the embassy, go to the consular's office, fill out a lot of paperwork, and even do some fingerprints and send them back to the immigration in the States. And we were told that, okay, once you do that, then whenever he comes home uh, to, to America, as soon as he steps foot off the plane, he'll become an American citizen. And we just thought, okay, well, that's, that's easy enough. We'll just... Whenever it's time to come home on our next furlough, he'll be an American citizen. He'll come with us. Well, it came time for us to to go back to the states um, where we had to attend a conference, and the the embassy denied a visa for Deacon to go with us, and we just couldn't understand why. And it was some process with with immigration in the states and. They would not give us a visa for him to get in the States, and they said that you need to come here and take care of it. And so one of the most difficult things that we have ever had to do is we had to leave our newly adopted son in Zambia while the rest of our family flew back to America for a conference for two weeks and then ultimately to go to immigration and sort things out. Oh, no. And it just didn't, it didn't seem right, and we fought every which way we could, we could get Canada would give them a visa, but America wouldn't. We were actually going to a conference in Canada, and we thought, well, we could get him to Canada, and we'll just sneak him across the border. Right. Uh, I mean, I mean, these are literally things that we had serious conversations about. About why? Why is this happening? Why? You know, why are we not able to do that? And uh, and it was just, I don't, I don't even know if it wasn't the technicality. It was just paperwork and processes that that had to be done. From the from the American side, and so able to, to to do that, but it was difficult. It was because corruption had been discovered, and they found out that an American-run orphanage was paying to have the process expedited. They weren't the families weren't staying the three months to become residents. They were coming, getting a baby, and going back to the states. And that had kind of been discovered, and mm-hmm. so all child children's visas to America were suspended. They were put on hold. He had been ours for months, legally adopted for months. We were not allowed to take him out of the country. How did you tell him? Oh, gosh. Difficultly. It was just, our fear was that he would think, oh, well, okay, so this little vacation that I've had from the orphanage is over, and and that we would just go away and not come back. And after I listened to a lot of the podcasts of other people who've had to leave their child in country for months at a time, I can look back at it now and think we didn't have it really that bad. We only had to leave for three weeks. Right. And so we organized for him to stay in our home because we, we thought if he's here, mm-hmm. he'll know we're coming back. And so a friend came and stayed in our home for three weeks with him so that he could know that we were coming back. And then they met us at the at the airport, and he was so excited. You have to just imagine there's all these Zambians standing there, and they're all waiting for their family member to come off the airplane, and he's saying, my mommy is coming, my mommy is coming. Wait, just, you wait, you will see, my mommy is coming. And then here comes this Mazungu <laughs> lady, and he comes running to me, and <laughs> their faces, it was priceless. 
But he knew we were coming back. We were inked to him while we were gone. It was hardest for us because in our adult thinking, we just didn't want him to feel abandoned. Right, again. Or that, that we're going on vacation and he doesn't get to go with us. Right. Now, does he, oh, I want to explain really quick. Muzungu is a white person. So he's standing there waiting and all these white people come out and probably the Zambians are like, what? Wait a second. Yeah. Now, yeah. what is his backstory? Are his parents or one alive? Does he have siblings? Yeah. He does have a sibling. Both of his parents passed away. His biological dad passed away while his mom was pregnant with him. And mom passed away when he was like two and a half, three months old. I, I met him when he was brand new to the orphanage. Um, and she had HIV I think just this is common that the labor that the body goes through giving birth, it just so weakens someone who has HIV mm-hmm. and then, mm-hmm. you know, malaria and all that. I think she technically, it says that she died of malaria, but it's because her body was weakened by HIV. And so there was a seven-year-old sister and then there was infant deacon and the grandfather couldn't care for deacon because he was an infant and he needed formula and that's expensive. And so... He, the grandfather kept Grace and put Deacon in an orphanage and said that he would come back when he was older to get him, and then he just never did. But we met the grandfather, we met the uncle, we met the sister, and after we came back to the States, the sister became an orphan, and we tried for three or four years to adopt her. Andy went to Zambia, Andy spoke to the head person over adoptions, and they will not allow us to adopt her because we're only 19 years older than her. And there is a Zambian law that to adopt a child, there has to be a 21-year age difference. Oh, even if you and have that, the sibling? That's, yeah, that's what we hmm. said. I mean, Andy went there with pictures of Deacon. They look just alike. But if you think of it from a Zambian point of view, here's a, you know, at the time, 34-year-old man asking to adopt a 17-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Right, I and can, so, yeah. You know, they're looking to protect her, and, and we understood that and knew that, but at the same time, her brother is our son, and that makes her our daughter. Mm-hmm. And so the, we, then we went to immigration in the States, and they said, if you can get her here on a visa, any type of a visa, even if it's just temporary, you can adopt her through the American courts before she's 18. And so then we kind of hurriedly tried to start that process, and we just failed to get her here before she was 18 because the orphanage lost her passport and blah, blah, blah. So you didn't and get you to know, bring her home. I do. Everything is so slowly there. It's not like in the States where you can just right. you it's, know, go online and apply and blah, blah, blah. No, nothing is fast. Is and paperwork right. gets lost and it's in a folder, right. you know, right. <laughs> somewhere. Oh, the one person who you need to talk to is gone for four days for a funeral. Right. Or whatever. And you right? try to hire so, a Boda Boda, which is a little motorcycle, yeah. and you're like, I will find this person. Yes. I will yes, go I to will. this party they're at or this wedding yes. because that's really what you have to do. For hours and then it's lunchtime. Right, right. Yes, yeah. I do understand that. So you didn't get the sister, <laughs> and there comes a time in your journey where you decide that you are not going to come back on furlough anymore. You're going to come back, and you're going to live in the States. Right. So, so you we were came back. It's actually eight years ago yesterday that we wow. moved back to the states. We moved to my husband's hometown, and we, you know, were working in a church, and and we started living the American life. And what was that transition like? It was really wonderful for Andy, and it was awful for me. 
because here we moved back to his hometown, so all these people that he knows, you know, everywhere he goes, he's running into somebody he hasn't seen in, you know, five or ten years, and he's at this job that he loves and is excited about, and I'm just a stay-at-home mom with a three-year-old, four-year-old. You know, I was lonely. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any purpose. I thought being a missionary was so important and mm-hmm. cool and exciting, and mm-hmm. every day is an adventure. And I come home, and I have to call Andy to go to the post office. Like, where's the post office? You know, like, how do I... And he's you know, like, I, yay, I, the post office. I'll come get you. Yeah. Everything's great. <laughs> right, Andy? No, and it was culture. It was reverse culture shock for me. Yeah, that's how I can totally relate to that. Andy, you were happy to be back in the States. How were your sons doing? They they transitioned well. Now, Deacon, it took a little bit of time because we came home in the winter, and he was not used to an American winter, and so he did not like it very much. He thought that that's what America was like. He did not want to be a part of it. But uh, he saw snow for the first time, and that was pretty cool. Uh, and the the boys, they just kind of got right back into life. They started school, and and it, it went well. It was a, a good transition, and I think that the boys started kind of reacclimating to American culture. And Deegan, for the first time to American culture, he just fit right in. He very, very quickly lost his first language, and now English is, was all that he could speak. He very quickly lost the little accent that he had, and he just became American. an American boy, just like everybody else. Robin, I can so relate to you. And in those days of coming back, you know, like I said in the first segment, I lived in Uganda for three years. You lived in Zambia for five years. And you come back here and you do feel it's hard to find your purpose. It's hard to get going again. It's hard to fit in, Um, you know, and I don't minimize this. I've gotten used to it now. But when you're out in a third world country, you're doing such important work, it feels like. And you are talking to people about their lives and and really tragedy. And then you come here and you get together with ladies and you're talking about curtains. Yes. And what you're going to cook for dinner and you're thinking, this cannot be real. But yeah. you did what I did and you found some identity in foster care. Right. We did. I, it's, this is kind of funny. A friend of mine was having a baby and I said to Andy, babe, I got the baby fever. He's like, let's not do that. Let's foster because that we hit continually, and you know, we've been married at this point ten years now, and and um, we kept talking about it. And so I called his bluff. I just went and picked up the paperwork, <laughs> and <laughs> I don't think he thought I was that serious about it, but I was. And so we did the process. It took months, maybe even a year, to actually get our first placement. You know, there's the home study, and there's background checks, and every member of your family has to be interviewed, and. referral letters from people near and far and months and months and months. And it was funny. uh, We were at one of our oldest son's baseball games, and this couple sitting down the way had just gotten a new foster placement, these two little boys. They were like one and two. And they had had them maybe six weeks, and Andy said, I wish we could have those boys. And I'm not kidding you. You got those boys. A day or two later, I got a phone call, and the lady's (laughs) saying, these boys are already in Paul's Valley, the foster mother has gotten hurt, and we need to move them quickly. She said, I, you know, I'm trying to pronounce their names to you. And I said, is it 
And I said their names, and she was like, yes. And I was like, we know those boys. And Andy, an hour later, I went and picked them up. You need to be careful on all these things that you're saying. <laughs> they come true. Like, don't challenge me. I will rise <laughs> to the occasion. And we had those two little boys for almost two years. Wow. Yes. Okay. And you decided to adopt again. God gave you a dream. Is that right? Yes. He's, he spoke to me. I was at an adoption awareness conference, and he spoke to me, I'm giving you a girl. And I was like, okay, finally. And But I said very clearly, give her a name. If you're calling us to this, give her a name. And it's kind of a long story, and I know we're running out of time, but I'll tell you that in hot pink letters, God gave me the name Bliss very clearly. I texted Andy. I was like, let's adopt a baby girl. And he's like, okay. And I was like, no, for real. I'm serious. And... We wanted to adopt from Zambia because mm-hmm. he's Zambian, and we wanted him to have a sibling in the home that looks like him. Um, and this is still at the same time that we were trying to adopt Grace. And so our hope was to adopt Grace and then just kind of throw in a baby, like for free. <laughs> <laughs> Buy one, get one. That's what we were going for, right? And we were told absolutely by the highest authority, no. But I kept on this dry erase board in our kitchen, pray for bliss. I kept that there because I believe that God had spoken that to me. And so fast forward seven or eight months, and my sister texts me. She's like, hey, um, our pastor knows these people that are pregnant, and it's a girl. Um, would you be interested? They want to do an open adoption. I was like, heck, yeah. And so contacted Bliss's biological grandfather on Facebook. I was like, look, I'm a friend of a friend, and we heard that there's a baby, and we has been wanted a girl, you know, when Noah was two, he started praying for a baby sister, and at this time he's 15, so 13 years of praying for a baby sister. And and so he called me and he said, hey, don't get your hopes up. They've already um, decided where they're placing the baby, but I think they need to explore some other options. And so I have gotten them to agree to meet with one other family. So if you'll write me a letter, I'll present you with other families to them, and, you know, don't get your hopes up. And so they agreed. They picked us. They agreed to meet with us, and that was it. And, again, it was still don't get your hopes up. We're just doing this to satisfy him, but we've already made our choice. And so at this time we had a little foster girl that was five, and so we walk into this restaurant to meet Kendra and Thayer, and we have all of our boys and this little five-year-old foster girl and we sat at this restaurant for over two hours and we talked about everything under the sun and we laughed and just had so much fun together and we we talked about some little important things but mostly we just we just talked about who we were and what we do and who they are and what they do and what they want for their child and she's sitting there eight months pregnant wow and that was on a saturday and three days later on tuesday it was evening and i was like about to get in the shower and my phone dinged and I looked at it and it said, congratulations, you're finally getting your girl. We pick you. Aww. And so like, I'm like putting my robe on real fast because I was about to get in the shower and Andy and all the boys are in the kitchen and I come running in there holding my phone up and I was like, they picked us, they picked us, they picked us. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like the baby, we're getting the baby. They picked us. And it was just, party explosion everyone's jumping up and down and screaming and four weeks later I was allowed to be in the room when Bliss was born Mm -hmm. and it was an odd process because 
we had only one piece of paper that allowed us to bring Bliss home. We hadn't had time to do anything at all. So you didn't have a home study? No. Oh, my goodness. No. We stood at the nurse's station with Kendra and our lawyer friend faxed because, okay, back up just for a second. Kendra had come to stay with us. I invited her. I felt like if these people are giving us their child, I want her to know for sure that she made the right choice. I wanted her to see how we live and who we are as a family. And so I invited her to stay for us for a weekend. During that weekend that she was here, I have a friend that's a notary public. I typed up a little thing that said I give temporary custody to Andy and Robin, and we went and signed it. And so we had that piece of paper. But the hospital said it has to be on a letterhead. Right. So we had a friend fax us the same thing but on letterhead. At the nurse's station, Kendra signed it, and that piece of paper allowed us to leave the hospital with Liz. And I just remember as we're driving away, looking back over our shoulders, <laughs> and Andy and I were just... In amazement. Couldn't believe it. I was, it felt it felt like we were stealing this baby. Right. It was it was so weird. I just kept is this real? Are we really really there's not cops behind us? We're leaving the parking lot of the hospital right now. With a perfect baby. <laughs> yeah, oh. it was it was it was amazing. The I, I can't even explain the, the emotions that we are going through. Luckily we had three and a half hours to drive home to, <laughs> to kind of come to come to, to grab grips with our emotions, but it was it was amazing. It was. And now, Bliss is almost three years old. We have a supernaturally wonderful relationship with her family, with her biological parents, with the biological grandparents. And that is how you and I met, April. Yes. And you said to me, oh, I flew to Detroit to visit her biological grandmother. And I yeah. said, oh, I have a radio show. You need to do an interview because we can talk about open adoption. And uh, we're running out of time today. I would love to have you back on the show. But um, just uh, your hearts are amazing in this process of adoption. And we want to really talk about families like yours that are willing to not only adopt the child, but to adopt everybody involved. And, you know, it can't, it's not always possible, but if it is, Really loving the family, like you said, loving Deacon's sister and, and fighting for her. And, you know, it didn't it doesn't always work out the way that you think it should, but you're still saying yes. You're still saying yes to what God has for you. And I do want to end the show by saying that right now that birth mother is living with you and pregnant again. Yes. We invited her to stay with us over Christmas break while she sorts out, makes some big decisions about what she's going to do. Um, she lives in Wichita, and I, I do think she's planning to go back to Wichita. We have offered for her to stay with us. It, you know, it's been three years. We don't have any fear of her. There's no, what if she decides to take us back? There's none of that. She has become a member of our family, and we love her. Kendra is the hero in our family's story, Kendra and Thayer. What they did for Bliss was purely unselfish, they truly sacrificed to place her in our family. It was not easy. I watched the emotions that Kendra went through, especially for the year after. You know, now it's been almost three years. She's not 
dealing as deeply with those things, but it's still mm-hmm. difficult. But the way that she looks at bliss, and especially not because bliss is hilarious and funny and cute and so, so smart, and she says the funniest things, and then Kendra will just, you know, die laughing. She looks at bliss with amazement, and that makes me so happy that she's happy with the choice that she made. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Andy and Robin. I'll have to have you back on. we we got to find out what happens with the child that she's pregnant with right now. Is she going to parent? Are you guys going to adopt? We'll have you back on the show. Thank you again. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week. Thanks for joining us for today's Adoption Now. If you would like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com or find it on Facebook. And join us next week at the same time as we share another adoption story on 670 AM KLTT.